Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Fundamentals, an OKC UK podcast. I am your host, Thomas Snowden, the founder of OKC UK. And joining me this week, as always, is Mr. Reliable, Mr. Janelle Taylor. How are you this week, Janelle? Pretty good, actually. I mean, just in the run-up to tread deadline season, trying to put a couple of things in place, you know, in terms of like writing and looking at what the market's going to be look like. And yeah, other than that, I feel pretty positive how Thunder could probably do at the trade deadline, to be honest. Sorry, I wasn't laughing at you then. I was laughing at something inappropriate on my phone, so I'll turn that away because I need to laugh at that later. But um, also joining Janelle this week is making his second appearance on Fundamentals is Harry. Harry is back. How are you, Harry? Thank you. Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. Tired, being busy at work, but yeah, looking forward to being back on. Not not recorded for a little while, so yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's my own fault. I've... Obviously, we tr- we try and do weekly, but it's, it's hard at times. As people know what life is, other people who do podcasts will know how hard it is it can be to record weekly. So we'll jump right in. Since we last recorded, it's been a stretch of games. Only one win in that time, which amazingly came against Brooklyn, which we probably was our best offensive game of the season. It was certainly up there. It's too much of our surprising. And then we had a... We've had a few mediocre games in that stretch. It hasn't exactly been fun. We were talking about it just before we started recording. Now, there's not there's not really a lot of words to describe the last stretch of games since we last recorded. Apart from, it's just it's been okay. Like for a rebuilding team, it's been okay. That game the other night against the Bulls was exactly the sort of games that I want to see. Obviously, nightly, it's not going to happen. But that game was an incredible game to watch. I thought it was unreal watching that back I nearly stayed up for that game as well which to be fair I'm glad I didn't because I probably would have seen that we were down by 20 30 odd and then went ah oh, stuff this I'm going to bed I'm sure you two will back me up when you see results like or games going that way and you're like ah oh, stuff this I'll finish it in the morning or whatnot but it's 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 been a weird stretch obviously we saw return of Bayes back to the starting lineup that hasn't gone as well SGA back to an all-star level but we know he can produce. It seems like a completely different player, taking different shots, but we'll we'll talk about SJ in our next topic. Uh, Kenny's been the same. JRE's had a good stretch. Again, we'll talk about JRE because I think he needs to be talked about. And then a lot of the bench is obviously being the bench. Giddy's been the same. Hasn't really done anything amazing, but he's been Josh Giddy. Lou Dort, I think, is really struggling at the minute. I'm not sure if the, you two agree with that, but... It's certainly been a weird stretch of games. Janelle, we'll start off with you. How have you found the stretch of games since we last recorded? So for me, I think my main takeaway is that over the last six games, we've seen the Thunder just start really slowly. Just every single game, it feels like. So I think the Charlotte game is probably the worst one. The Hornets got out 37-20. Thunder in the 17-point hold, you know, with 36 minutes left to play. That's such a huge deficit to chase down. And we've seen that consistently over the last six games. The Thunder have been down by like nine points on average at the end of every, you know, at the end of every first quarter over these six games. To me, that's not sustainable. It's not necessarily a good thing. I think Mark Degnall's a fantastic coach in terms of actually getting the team and making the tactical adjustments. And the Thunder do very well to find their way back into games. But I would like to see them be a bit more smart, manager lead out. Get out, you know, have get two, three possessions lead, six, seven points, and just control it. Hold the other team at arm's reach and just try to, you know, play a natural style of basketball. This whole 
thing where they're constantly having to work their absolute arses off to get back into games in the hope that they may win it. It just it doesn't feel like the right sort of trade for me, certainly in the long term. I'd say that Josh Giddy's kind of struggled with the rookie ward in the last couple of weeks. He's not really scoring at the same sort of level that he showed in the early part of January and certainly the later part of December. His passing has not been quite as crisp and it does seem like he's just quite fatigued, just to be expected. But obviously, with the level of his play slightly going down, Shea's having to take on more responsibility and we're starting to see him really turn it up and make a case of being an all-star player. Dort, I have to say, to me, he's just stinking out of joint right now. It's, his defence should be his one consistent trait that he brings to the team. And I still think in a man-to-man scheme, he's making the right decisions, certainly in guarding his matchup. But his decisions in terms of team defence have just been honestly a bit too overly aggressive for my liking. He's jumping out too much. He's trying to do too much. And that's just opening gaps that the other team are walking into and taking advantage of. If you look at teams like guys like Terry Rozier or like Derek White or even the most recent game, Ayo Dasumu, they're having bigger nights, and some of that is due to the Thunder have just having consistent defensive breakdowns. And Dort's like kind of a big part of that, I'd say. Yeah, hundred percent. One thing the Thunder has probably done the most consistently this year is has been the team's defense. Maybe not inter- um, on the perimeter, but certainly in- interior defense has been fairly um, consistent this year. Obviously, we've spoken a lot in depth about how the Thunder start games. It was an issue last year. The first year of the rebuild has been an issue this year. We always seem to be down after the first quarter. It's, very, it's not until we start making changes that things change. So it's, it's certainly frustrating. And obviously, as I said a minute ago about Lou Dort, it's, 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 I'm, I still can't make my mind up on Lou Dort and how highly I actually rate him. Obviously, I do rate him highly, but I'm not sure actually how high that is which is confusing based on six months ago, maybe before the season, I would have considered him untouchable. Do I, at the minute, I, I don't class him as untouchable anymore. But yeah, it's certainly been a weird amount or oh, key string of games. Harry, how have you seen him? Yeah, I completely agree with you on the last, like end of last season, I considered him untouchable in this rebuild. I kind of went with everyone else on Twitter and saying he was because he was undrafted, he was it was all that undrafted hype. Everyone was getting gassed around him, and yeah, I, I classed him as untouchable. But he's just been ever since he's started the season off very well. He's become like the second, the second option on this Thunder team. Which, whereas the season where he had his breakout year with Chris Paul and Shea, he was he was kind of the third fourth option there. So I feel like him trying to adjust to that second option where he's having. Uh, and a great defender on him is um is quite tough to to do, and he's going to have to improve his offensive matchup with by doing that because, um yeah he's had a ever since I've dropped him out of my fantasy league because he's not been giving me points, um yeah I knew something was going up because he started off really well I had him Shea and Giddy in my fantasy team, and then it started going downhill, but with the stretch of games I just don't get how the Thunder can look so good in one game. Well, the Brooklyn game, we looked so good. And yeah, we've not won since and we've looked really poor in, in a lot of them, bar from that um, Chicago one where we looked poor for the first three quarters. Um, yeah, I don't know how we can look so good and look like we can 
make shots consistently and then go to the next game and just completely drop it. Yeah, obviously we do slightly get away with it being in a rebuild. Like we're not obviously it'd be nice to see the consistency in an area, uh, whether that be off offense or the way we attack the rim game by game, but we don't seem to get that. But we they we we can kind of forgive them for that, obviously while being in the rebuild. If we were trying to contend and we weren't getting this consistency like the the Sacramento Kings trying to contend, uh, Timberwolves, Lakers trying to contend this year. The consistency isn't there. Obviously, Lakers have an average age of about 70 years old. So that's probably the issue in in LA there. But yeah, Dort, Dort's been a weird one. I'd, I, I probably wouldn't have him as number two on our team at the minute. Obviously, that would be Josh Giddy for me. I've, I would say Giddy has surpassed Dort in terms of... I say if you were to have a one, two, and three, it would be obviously be SGA is one, Giddy is two, Dort is three, and that would be obviously the untouchable order as well. Um, I do do want to talk about SGA a bit more, and obviously Janelle said a minute ago how Josh Giddy's offensive game hasn't been quite as up there in the last stretch of games, so SGA has had to compete. This stretch of games has made me realise how little SGA has actually been attacking the rim this season. And then you look at this last stretch of games, he's been absolutely fantastic in attacking the rim, which is what he is best at, in my opinion, especially when he, he's taken a lot less frees, he's attacking the rim a lot more, and he's getting his points. He's averaging late 20s in this stretch of games, which is the SGA that we know and loved from last year. So what's what's happened with SGA, Janelle? Like, why has he suddenly started to attack the rim a lot more? Uh, is it a case of his own personal development? He wanted to spend a lot of time working on his free ball and his step backs or has he just finally clocked on what he's good at? I think it's probably two things. So the first thing probably is that he seems to have put a lot of time into developing sort of sidestep, step back, jump shots that are going to be unblockable in the postseason or unguardable at the very least. Partly because for a guard of his size, he's going to need a shot like that, a shot that he can get any time. You know, Harden has a step back, Curry has a relocation, Curry has that little weird double right step three that he likes to use and sort of pulls off just out of nowhere. And Shane needs, will need a shot like that. But I also think the other thing is just that he's getting doubled relatively quickly into possessions that he's literally just crossing half court and then suddenly he's got another man in front of him. And then at that point, his offensive options are kind of limited. He can try to drive, but if you've got to go through two bodies to get there, and you can test it. It's not going to be easy for him. And then the other aspect of it is, is that he can make the pass and pass it off to a teammate, but there's no guarantee with this Thunder team that anybody can actually score. So then he's just left to take jumpers. That's his only real offensive option that he has available for him, and that's the one he's selected now. He seems to have become a lot better and more comfortable dealing with the doubles, and he's just getting into his stuff quickly, just attacking. He sees the big man step just slightly out of the painting area, and bang, he's gone straight in there. And I like to see that from because he's starting to show that aggressiveness, and he's starting to get to the line eight, nine times a game, and pick up those three points. It's the it's the best shot in basketball is the free throw. You can shoot 80 percent on it. You get there, you don't have any defense in front of you, and if you can make. Eight, nine of them a game, right? You take a 21-point score in nights and 30 points on something like 12, 13 shots. That, by nature, is very efficient. It's what Harden has done for so many years. 
And that's one of the reasons why he's one of the best two cards in the game. And Shays seems to be learning that skill as it is at the moment. Yeah, it's it's been refreshing to see from SJ because I kind of almost forgot that he had that in his locker as well, even though it is, even before this stretch, I knew it was his best straight. But because we've seen so little of it, it's kind of frustrated me in a way to see it all come back out. But now we've seen Shy back at that all-star level that we could argue that he is in now, which is crazy when you obviously won that all year long. Uh, and obviously fans around the league don't quite respect how good SGA is yet because they're the ones who don't get to watch him nightly. Um, Harry, what do you, do you agree with Janelle's point or do you think he just maybe said to himself that he just really wanted to nail that three-point game and the setbacks and add and develop to his game while he can, while the team's in a rebuild? Yeah, I do think he thought, why not do it now? Um, while, we're, while we're not wanting... Well, obviously... OKC, the players aren't wanting to lose games, but they know what situation they're in. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's so hard not to try and perfect that with the with the way basketball is this the, uh, this day and age. Um, everyone is shooting threes left, right, and centre. Even Dwight Howard is shooting like open threes if he gets a look. So it's it, it'll be hard not to. But Shea's just unstoppable when he drives, and everyone knows that. The defense knows that some of the layups he's made this past stretch over shot blockers is crazy. Like consistently, it's 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 like why has he not been doing this all season? He's shooting twenty odd percent from three, and yet he was still doing sidestep um, fadeaways for the um, for the season. So it's it's good to see that he's back in this stretch, and yeah, I'm happy to um, I'm happy for him to continue to just drive for the rest of the season, and then in the off season look to work on it again. Because he's definitely got it, as you can see. Some of the like he, he hit a big one against Lakers from from the logo, so he definitely has that. It's just picking his shot and not rushing that sad uh, that side step three. Nailed exactly what I was going to say there in terms of rushing it. Um, I, I do think as well, SGA is just he has decided to use some of this season to work on it. And I've said numerous times about SGA over the course of the podcast since we started that SGA is going to be twice the player when we have better players around him because he's not going to get doubled as much he's going to be able to produce a lot more he's going to be able to play make a lot more obviously if Giddy turns into the player that he well we we hope he will be I don't think he'll have the ball in his hands as much compared to potentially last year or some of the stages this year but it's, it's certainly refreshing to see SGA back at an all-star level. And I'm sure as Thunder fans, we all welcome it. It's, I'm pretty sure he'd done this last year as well on the build-up or to the first lot of fan votes. SGA wasn't anywhere near being mentioned. And then on the all the way up to all-star weekend after that first lot of fan votes, he went on an absolute spree. So this is obviously just SGA's time of year. Obviously, we need to we need to think of a name for this, this uh, SGA patch. I wonder when... Um... When will he be mentioned in that all-star conversation? Will it be when we start winning games or because he, he's last two seasons, he's averaged pretty much similar numbers as in a 25-ish a game. Um, so I, I'm just keen on when when will fans or people start voting for him really, apart from Thunder fans. Well, I've, I've seen ridiculous things on Twitter of people saying, well, he's doing this on a losing team. He should be pulling those numbers on a winning team. And it's like, well, it's not five against one, is it? But it's ridiculous. Janelle, go on. I know you were going to reply to that. So 
I don't think you'll get in with the fan voting. I just don't. Because if you look at the fan voting, you still got people like, and no disrespect to Derek Rose, I like Derek Rose. He's still getting voted in. Clay Thompson, Anthony Edwards. You know, these guys who are having good seasons or, you know, who were having good seasons or named guys, they're just Russell Westbrook. Uh, you know, the guys like you know, named guys just getting voted in, like Mike Conley and, you know, all these guys. Because he just, he won't get it in, he won't get voted in through the fans because, let's be honest, fan voting is complete bullshit. It has been bullshit. It doesn't Andrew ever... Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins, exactly. Andrew Wiggins is a good role player on the Golden State Warriors. He's what Harrison Barnes was four years, you know, five years ago for them. You would you were you voting Harrison Barnes in back then? No. In the West was less stacked in terms of depth, in terms of forwards back then as well. Like you didn't have PG, you didn't have LeBron in the West. You know, you had Kawhi and what a couple of others. It he won't get voted in because of that. I don't think for him he's got to get in through the coaches and if he can continue to put together games like this where he's averaging 26 points, like six assists, five, five, five rebounds. People are going to get take, take notice of that. And even if he's on a losing team, right, it doesn't really mean anything because it all starts about individual achievement more than anything else. It's not about team success. Team success only really comes into the end of the year awards. You know, you talk about all NBA, defensive player of the year, MVP, all of those kind of things. To start putting quantifiers on team success for all stars, bullshit in my opinion. Yeah, completely agree. I hate the way that they do all the fan votes and stuff for all also. I agree, get the fans involved, but they they make this fan vote and it seem as if it's a lot more important than what it is. But there's there's players around the league who will probably never get a chance because of these fan votes and whatnot. I'm not claiming these players are all star level, but they're being with a shout if it's just down to the coaches. You look at obviously SGA with us, you look at Christian Wood at Houston when he's when he's on a roll, he's he's could, you can make a case. John T. Murray in San Antonio, another one. He's probably not going to get there, although he's having an unreal season. It should be based on players during this season, but I feel the All-Star game is based on names. No, so I would agree with you. Like Generally, just fuck fan voting, because if you look at the most recent list that came out, right, so in the West, guards are Stephen Curry, John Moran. I can get those two. Luca, yeah. Clay Thompson, no. Booker, yeah, I get that. Russ, no. Chris, eh. I can kind of go either way on Chris Paul. Donovan Mitchell, no. Lillard, no. Anthony Edwards, no. So you've got, out of that top 10 guys, you've got six guys who don't necessarily deserve to be there. But they're only getting voted in because they're named guys and because they've got rep and because, you know, they actually get on television. It's rubbish. Yeah, I, I agree. It's completely ridiculous. Um, hopefully, they do something with it. Um but it, it, it needs sorting out. Um, hopefully, the all-star fan voting is not here to stay. Although something came out this week is in what is making a lot of... Harry's going to appreciate in this, this turn into a different subject. Um, obviously, it came out this week that Kenny Hustle has apparently said that he wants to stay in OKC until he retires, inverted commas. What are we making of this news, Harry? It's obviously it's Kenny Hustle. He's on an unreal contract at this stage. Don't know whether he's going to want more or whatnot uh, come the end of it, but it's been a very welcome piece in that Stephen Adams trade. Um, but yeah, and what do you make of that? And then what do you make of everything that's come out today in terms of Sam Presti values him as a first-round pick, which we have discussed numerous times over the course of this pod? 
Yeah, well, I did love what you just did there with that turnaround into the next topic. That was a uh, that was really good. But um, on terms of Kenny and Kenrich Williams, he's I, I don't see I, I can completely understand why he wants to retire here. He's comfortable here. He's found his role here. He um, he knows he's needed in a sense, but um, yeah, he knows he's needed with us because. Night in, night out, he 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 gives us consistent points, consistent effort on defense. Um, but in terms of Sam Presti's um, comments, I, I I don't know if I would take a first round pick. I'd, I'd rather just keep him at this point um, because it will be in about ten years. I bet twenty thirty the pick will be. It'll probably be protected. Uh, would would it be protected? Obviously, we don't know. But at this point, I'm happy with um, having him on the on the Thunder for the long run and having him retire here because he's a great player for us. He seems like a great guy in the locker room to be around. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy for him to stay. Sure. A lot of Thunder fans are. I know Janelle's obviously very high on Kenny Hustle, but Janelle, can you, can you be swayed into trading him or like, are you in the mindset that I am where, the OKC don't need to trade. There's no reason to trade. There's no need to trade. We've got plenty of picks. We have young assets. There's no need to trade. What's your thoughts? It'd have to be a strong offer. If someone came and offered, say, two good first-round picks, I'm not talking about, you know, your 2027, 20 and 28 protected, lottery protected first-round bullshit. I'm talking about two decent picks that you may get that are likely to convey in the next two years. I think I would consider it, but then I kind of go to this point, right, that everything has a diminishing return at some point, right, and just endlessly acquiring picks doesn't really make sense. And then you think about the Thunder's struggles in terms of actually getting quality role players to come to Oklahoma City, right? So go down the list of, like, previous Thunder role players in the past, right, and it's not necessarily the best list in the world. You know, you've got the likes of, you know, Raymond Felton, Patrick Patterson, uh, Josh Eustace, Dion Waiters, Randy Foy... Uh, uh, Ashim Tabitz, Perry Jones Jr., Mitch McGarry, Carl Singler. Like, none of these are really like good role players. Like, if you talk about good role players that Thunder have had, it would probably be Reggie Jackson, James Harden, Nick Collison, and then probably you could say Ennis Cantor and Anthony Morrow, right? Dennis Schroeder. Dennis, I don't know. I count Dennis as being more part of the starting lineup or like closing lineup because he played a lot of minutes. But yeah, this, that's, yeah, that's a good point. But, like, Kenny's just a really, really solid role player. Same with Mike Muscala. They're both really, really solid. Mm-hmm. Kenny's a plus-minus god. If you look at his on-off ratings, it's ridiculous. Like, he improves the Thunder in every single facet when he plays the game. So why would you just trade a guy away like that when he wants to stay and that he's still only 26, 27? He's not old. PJ Tucker is still contributing for the Miami Heat, and he's 38, 39 years old, and he's still better than ever. We've seen the careers of NBA players get longer, particularly for role players. So having a guy who's dirty on a championship winning, you know, on a contending team is not necessarily a bad thing. And Kenny's game is not going to grow old. He does not rely on speed. He's strong. He's not relying on speed. To me, I think you just keep him because he's just a useful piece to have. I don't see the point in trading him. And I can I start on that? Um, I feel like one of the reasons William he wants to stay with us is if he if if a contending team this season wants him. Like him and Mike Muscala would be great on a contending team this season, but next season, like what would they do? They they probably wouldn't want him again next season. So in, with the situation the Thunder are in this year, 
he's needed with us because without him, we'll be a lot worse than we are. And with him, obviously, we're doing okay. We're rebuilding. So I feel like he knows he's got a home for the next four or five years with us. Whereas if he goes to a contending team next season, he could be looking at like no job or a 10-day contract somewhere else and then try and work work his way back in that way. So, Yeah, I think you both make really good points. It's be ridiculous to trade him. I think if, obviously, Moose did say, and we have seen that he's perfectly happy here, he cried when he thought he was leaving because he wanted to stay, which obviously I'm sure with the fans latching on to the Thunder admin, it, it got back to the, the Thunder GM to big old Sam Presley to bring him back. But if I think if Mike Muscala and Kenny Hustle both want to stay here till they retire, then we give them those contracts and make sure they stay here till they retire because... They, they love the organisation. They know their roles. Their roles aren't going to change. So, to me, that's absolutely perfect. It makes no sense whatsoever. Now, some, someone's role we have seen change throughout the season between the four and five, and that it's going to bring us on to Rookie Watch. I wanted to talk about JRE this week. So, I think in this last stretch of games since we last recorded, which has been a little over two weeks, I think JRE's had a really, really good stretch. He's had a couple of really good shooting nights. His defensive game has been really good. He had a mental block the other night. I think it's arguably been one of the best stretches for JRE. And it's I was starting to slightly change my opinion on him a couple of weeks ago. Not drastically, just a little. As in like, yeah, he's, he's, he's not going to be as good as what we are. But if he, if he keeps his stretch up, I can see my opinion changing again. Um, but I wanted to talk about JRE because I don't know whether I've just been watching other players over the course of the games, whereas I've, as I've said numerous times during games, I try and focus on a certain couple of players to see how they're doing. That's what made me get incredibly high on Trey Mann compared to what I was. But JRE's had a really good stretch. Janelle, are you with me or have I just been blinded by other players over the course of the season and he's been doing it throughout? I think you've been blinded over the course of the season, to be honest. I mean, JRE, I've been on him since since we drafted him, to be honest. I liked him at Villanova. I've always thought in terms of like, yes, he's not the biggest player around. Yeah, he's not the fastest, but he's just a smart player like who knows what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Like His reading of the game is incredibly good. And you can kind of see, even when he was having like rough nights, he was still contributing positively for the Thunder, whether that be through his defence, his rebounding, even when he was having nights when he was getting eaten up alive by guys like Jonas Valanciunas, who were, you know, bigger than him, strong, low-post, burly centres. Like, he was still doing relatively decently. His offence, eh, kind of fell off a cliff, to be honest. I'll be honest. His shooting from outside wasn't that great. And he had this whole thing where he was just wanted to lay up every single look when it just meant he was getting blocked a lot. Now he's sort of kind of his shot selection. He's got, you know, a little bit better at shooting threes, but he's now dunking the ball a bit more, so he's finishing slightly better inside. He's starting to look like a lot more of a competent player to me, right? He's kind of the perfect four or five for a team like the Thunder. He's low usage, knows what to do, will make them maximise his opportunities when he gets them. He's a bit like what we thought Patrick Patterson was going to be, but he's probably slightly better than that, I would say. Is that, is that what you'd also say like a rough ceiling is for JRE, Pat, 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 or? Maybe slightly better than that, but yeah, it's probably about there. It's not, it's not, it's not a fair, uh, not a bad, 
like equivalent to be fair good comparison I'm, i like it i haven't heard that one i'm perfectly happy with that because patrick patterson before yeah, yeah. he did his knee and got to oklahoma he was a plus minus god like he was just incredibly <laughs> good for toronto and i think he played in atlanta he just contributed to winning every single time he stepped on the court and to have a guy like that like jre why not and plus he's also part of what i like to call the hustle bros you know, him and Kenny, they're both hustling around. They do all the dirty work and they're very good at doing what they do. And you need players like that. Players are willing to get down and scrap and, you know, fight and make it difficult in every single possession for the other team to score. Yeah. That's exactly what we like to see, especially it's that, it's that loud city uh, caliber of player that we like, especially with the hustling. Um, Harry, JRE, where are you with him? I think we're, we're yet to see his full potential. I, did, I, Patrick Patterson, I, I didn't like on the Thunder. I know, and I didn't watch much of him before he got to the Thunder, to be fair. So I can't really con- say what he was like before he got there. But I feel like JRE is. Does anyone know how old he is, quick? Is he like 22, 20? I feel like he was quite an old draft, 24, maybe. He is uh, 20. Might be 21 now. He was 20 when we drafted him. I'm just looking at my notes. He's only 21. So, yeah, he's he's turned 21 this year. I think there's a lot more potential with him than than you're saying. If he can, he's not had much time running, like running the offense as much with the ball, like bringing the ball up. But if he can start, like, handling the ball well, I, I see him being a great player for us. Like, Keep, keeping him in the future five, ten years, like players like Ken, Kenrich Williams coming off the bench and helping us win, like knocking down shots like efficiently. Like when Kenrich Williams shoots, a lot of the time I'm thinking, wow, like this is going to go in. His 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 um, efficiency is is really good. So if um, JRE can play that three or four spot um, when, once we bring some centres in, I feel like he's going to step up his game even more in the next few seasons. Yeah, it's a fair comparison. I'm, I'm kind of the same with JRE. I, I don't really feel like we've seen the best of him until we see him up with another big. Like I'd, I want to see him as a stretch, uh, having a stretch at four, which is where I think his proper position will be. I don't think he is a centre, but it's been a weird one. But I... I I just wanted to shout him out in this week's Rookie Watch because I've been impressed with what I've seen of him the last couple of weeks, especially with his shot-making and decision-making has been very good. And his defensive game, which is probably the best stretch I've definitely seen of him this year. Um, Block as well. Let's not, yeah. let's, not, let's not forget that. We we won't forget that. And we will also talk about, while we're talking about this very same game, can we talk about how Vooch has been done again? in consecutive seasons. Last year, he was done by Isaiah Roby, and this year, he's been done by Kenny Hustle. And they were both near enough the same play. Same play, same dunk. It was like a like-for-like. I literally got up and done the LeBron James and uh, Dwayne Wade. LeBron running around the room with his arms outstretched, or Dwayne Wade even. But, yeah, I I needed to put that in there because I just... I thought I was watching a game from last year. Isn't that like for like? It's that little um, shot fake, isn't it? Yeah, Vooch just on his backside. It's great to see, and I love I love Vooch as well. I think he's a very underrated centre. But it was just I just had to throw it out there. So I'm I'm now gonna 
pass this over to Janal because Janal is going to talk about something that came out on Thunder Twitter this week. Who's he's probably the best. Well, he he is the best equipped to talk about it. So Janal, what 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 are you going to talk to us about and explain what you're talking about? So there was a graph that came out the other day that came out from NBA Math uh, or Maths. Uh, I feel like funny saying Maths, uh, Maths. So it's going to be Maths. Uh, so they basically produced a graph which showed how the Thunder players have fared during the season according to TPA. So TPA is very much like a catch-all advanced metric that they use. And it's very good at actually like recording, you know, who's adding points offensively, who's saving points on defense. Obviously, with all catch-all metrics, it does have its ups and downs. It's not perfect because it's impossible to truly record, you know, the impact of someone plays on, makes on defense. We simply don't have tracking stats for it. But it's pretty useful in that sense. So if you look at it very clearly on the graph, the one thing that's really surprising is Lou Dort's performance, in my opinion. At this point in time, he looks to be one of the worst players for the Thunder on offense behind only Poku and Douglas Baisley. And he's possibly the worst player on defense for the team. Now, you may think that's a bit odd, given that Dort has his reputation for being a great defender. And he generally is. Individually, I think he's one of the best. He does really well at staying attached to his man. But over the last month or so, particularly over the last month, I'd say, is that his team defense has just kind of fallen off a cliff. He's getting too aggressive. He's got this weird Marcus Smart-like tendency where he's just jumping out at everything, trusting himself to make the play. But you have to understand that occasionally high-risk plays do not always bring the best rewards. Sometimes it is better just to play within the scheme of the defense instead of trying to attack every single possession and get a steal. I would probably say that's the reason why Dort's defense has trended downwards. Darius Baisley, on the other hand, has been a solid defensive player. As Tom said, he's probably the second best on the team, and the metrics will support that. If you look at it at the moment, it looks like he's tied with Mike Muscala for being second best, with Kenrich Williams leading the way. No, Baisley's second. Just had to throw it in there. Baisley's second. I've, 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 I've put a ruler, and the ruler shows that Baze is slightly above Moose. The rule approved it. Carry on. But as we've known, as we have seen this season, his offense is absolutely fucking terrible. <laughs> he takes bad shots. He's inefficient. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't really finish inside all that well because he stopped dunking the ball for some reason. And his outside shots not come around. We saw one little mirage in the bubble about two and a bit seasons ago where he actually looked like a decent shooter from outside. And since then, he's been building brick houses. Simply put... <laughs> Yeah, he's doing all right defensively, but the rest of his game is just not up to scratch. In his contract year, what have we really seen from him? We've seen him play defense, but we ain't seen nothing else. Is he really someone Thunder wants to keep? It's really hard to determine at the moment. To me, the most interesting data point on that graph is Mike Muscala. We know that Moose brings a lot in terms of on the offensive end of the floor. He's spaced the floor. He's been an incredibly efficient shooter from downtown this year, but he's actually one of the better defensive players on the team. Why is that? If you look at how he's defending the rim, he's changed his play. Before, Mike Muscala would come out a bit too much. He's played quite traditionally in that sense. Muscala's, you know, the traditional thing for a big man where they're protecting the roof to step forward, stand up, make themselves look big, try to dissuade the driving player and actually put a body in front of them. Well, that requires athleticism, that requires length, and those are two things that Muscala doesn't really have. If you look at how he's played, he's dropped a little bit deeper, two or three steps, much closer to the rim. But that gives him just that extra split second that he needs just to go up, you know, to go up, 
put both arms in the air, also actually to get a hand on the ball and swat it. He gives him the thinking time. And that's possibly one of the reasons why his defensive improvements come about. Shea's obviously the best player on Thunder's team, but to me, those are two or three data points which I thought were very interesting. Yeah, well, thanks for that. I'm, I'm, I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at this graph, and I'm looking at it now. I wasn't being rude on my phone or anything. I'm just trying to look at it at the same time as you. Obviously, the very first thing I looked at when the graph was put in the group chat was who, who on earth is that bottom left? And obviously, the biggest surprise with that was it being Lou Dort. And then obviously, there's a massive amount of players uh, near enough slap bang in the middle, near, uh, which is probably what's expected on most NBA teams. Um, before we move on from that graph, just going off that graph, if the graph was obviously 100% accurate and whatnot, what, what would that make our best three offensive and defensive players? So from what I can tell on the graph, it, so if you talk about, so sort of Shea's a net neutral on defense, but his offensive production is off the charts. Like he's way ahead compared to everybody else. And then Moose is kind of, he's just slightly better than being a neutral on defense. Not quite a positive, but just marginally so. But he's also one of the best attacking players on the team. And then you've got this sort of weird grouping in the middle where you've got, what looks to be Isaiah Roby, Gabriel Deck, Scotty Hobson, Marmadou Diakite, and a few other players, which is just odd and doesn't really make sense, possibly due to sample size being really small. They're probably not being able to form like a proper judgment on them. And then you've got like guys like Kenrich Williams, who is kind of a slightly negative on defense on offense, but he's actually probably the best defender on the team. So that will suggest that the three best players on the team are, if you take, if you disregard things like age, potential, it's Shea, Kenny and Mike. Those are the three. But then if you take into account other factors that aren't really measured by statistics like age, potential, it probably would still include like uh, Giddy and I don't know about Dort. The third one's kind of up for debate, to be honest. Andrew Wiggins performs really strongly on this metric, I must say. Well, it's an interesting Sorry, breakdown. Aaron Wiggins. Aaron Wiggins. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't going to buy in. Everybody would have known what we were on about. Um, it's an. It's an interesting graph, and it's. It's a good thing to see halfway through the season. I'd be interested to see what it would look like at the end of the season. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add, Harry, with the graph, or anything you wanted is, to ask? Is Giddy in the minus for offense because he's getting so many minutes and his points aren't like Shays? Because like offensive or like assists, he gets a lot of points. He doesn't get a bunch of. But I'm just wondering, like, what makes him go in the minus? Is it? I think probably he goes in the minus because his shot volume is pretty high. I mm. think with Josh, I can't, I don't know exactly how many shots he's taking off the top of my head. I think he's roughly he's... about thirty-five percent. I think. Uh, let me have a look. Yeah, Giddy's taking about 12 shots a game and he's shooting, his true shooting is somewhere down at 46%, which is obviously pretty putrid in terms of shooting. His passing has been great, but it's, the passing is a lot harder to measure. In terms of, yeah, you've got your potential assists, but potential assists don't always translate in terms of like the shot quality that you're creating. Like Russell Westbrook used to lead the league in like potential assists. I think he led the league and had like 20 potential assists at one point like per game but then with the looks that with the looks that Russell was creating like yeah he was creating kick out corner threes but he wasn't 
doing what CP would do, where he would like lead people in to get them great quality looks all the time. It was just the volume. So I don't know necessarily how well you can actually measure passing. I think passing is one of the things that you can only really measure when you look at it because it's not an individual stat. You can have someone who consistently makes great passes, but if they've got a person on the end of it who just fluffs looks all the time, which I'll be honest, right, this season on Thunder, it has been a bit like that. Like, it's hard to measure. You could possibly say that on a good team, right, Giddy shouldn't average six assists or seven assists. He averages closer to nine or ten. A bit like what Lamelo did, but, like, that's all subjective. It's all contextual. No, well, thank you for that breakdown, Janelle. As I said, you definitely would have said it a lot better than what Matalfo Harry would have done. So it's 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 good it's good to see things like that broken down. It makes you understand it a lot more. I'm sure other people, perhaps listening to this pod, would have seen the same graph and they would have gone, Well, we don't exactly understand it. So Janelle, thank you for breaking that down. Um so we'll move on now. We've got three more topics to talk about, and we're going to talk about Theo Maladon and Alexei Pokashevsky, who obviously have both been down after being assigned to the G League, so they've spent some time with the OKC Blue. And Theo Maladon has just gone absolutely crazy down there. He's averaging late 20s in points, I think about five rebounds and seven assists. Now, I'm a big Theo guy. I have been since five games into last season. Loved him. He was one of my shouts for player of the year before, obviously, as I Ruby took it. But he's absolutely been incredible. I've, I've seen highlights and stuff of the G League games and they've been... He's, he's just been tearing it apart, which obviously I love to see. He's been recalled back to the, the Thunder today and Roby's gone back down to the G League, which I don't don't think it's a bad decision because I do want to keep Roby involved. I do think Roby's a good role player as well. If he sorts his feet out. Um, but if he's been recalled, I just got pray that he actually gets some bloody minutes because on the back of that stretch, it's exactly what we've done with Poku last year. Sent him down to the G League. When he came back on the way he performed in the G League, he got more minutes on the back of that and show glimpses before he went back to normal Poku. Um, so it's refreshing to see Tio absolutely tearing it. Yes, it's a G League, but you still got to get it done. He obviously had an insane butter beat earlier the night as well um, to, to take the game to overtime. But I'm 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 starting to get really worried about Poku now as well because Poku's struggled in the G League. He's not done anything down there, same as he hasn't done anything in the NBA. So I am really starting to panic about Poku, especially when I was extremely high on him before we drafted him. But it's it's a weird one with Poku. He is only 20 still. He's still like the second youngest guy on the Thunder, which is crazy, but it's interesting. Um, I'll open it up. Has anybody seen any of Tio in the G League or anybody have anything they want to talk about Tio or maybe Poku? I think with Maladon, I've been very pressed by I think developing point guards is hard it's just a simple like you look at great point guards who have played in the past right and the only one who really came out of the box as a great player would probably be Chris Paul you look at Russell Westbrook struggled early Chris uh, Steph Curry struggled early you know Kyrie Irving same sort of thing even if you go back to someone like Chauncey Billups who's widely regarded as one of the greatest one of the best point guards of the 2000s one of the best of his generations 
he was four years in, as journeyman initially in his career, and he didn't really excel or stand out. And with Maladon, like he had a difficult first season in the NBA. He played effectively three different roles and was eventually tossed into being the lead playmaker for an NBA team, despite the fact he was a young rookie still learning his craft. Like it doesn't his experiences in France didn't really stack up or really compare them. Yeah, they gave him confidence necessarily, but like it's a different kettle of fish. You put him in the G League where he's got a steady, consistent role and he's just growing from strength to, from strength to strength. His scoring starts to come around. That's the one thing that really surprises me. His scoring, his three-point shooting, his numbers always looked decent in the past, but it was always a bit of a grain of salt in that small sample size, will it actually translate? But now we're starting to see it translate and he's now starting to look like a real threat. And to me, that was the one thing that he needed. Like, Maladon is fast, but he's not always fast. He can't always get into that gear where he's just has that little half step of speed and bang, he's past people. He needs the shots to open up the rest of the floor. And now he's starting to develop that. I think the world is his oyster. The sky is the ceiling for him. Poku is kind of an odd one because, like, he's so young. I like, I'm not. I don't necessarily buy into the whole glimpses thing and all this kind of stuff, but I can say, right, that his defense is actually generally pretty solid. He's got that one thing to build on, and he's shown some ability to actually knock down shots, and he's shown some ability to be a passing, to be a bit of a playmaker. He just needs time. His only experience before this was playing for Olympiakos B. Like, that's a B team, you know, that's like the youth team in, you know, the Greek second division. Like, those experiences don't necessarily translate to the NBA all that well. He just needs time. I, he's going to be rough for, you know, two or three years. It's going to be rough. But, like, we knew what we are getting into. He's a project. We can't judge him until we get to his third or fourth season. Like with Darius Baisley. We I, was just about to, I was just about to make that point. With Baisley, we reserve judgment until this season because this is his prove-it season. What can you do to actually prove that you can stay? And with Baisley, we've now seen he's an inconsistent player. He's had now three years of this, four years of this. We can now actually come to a reasonable judgment. On him. With Poku, we have to Afford him the same respect. Harry, anything to add? Yeah, Poku. Um, yeah, on Theo, I don't really have much to add. I think he's a great player and he's got a great future with us. Um, but with Poku, he has all the potential in the world. You look at him, he's, he's seven foot. He can shoot, he can shot block, he can handle the ball. But he's just looked like he's had no confidence this season. Like I saw, I saw a few months ago this um, Poku's highlights from last season, and it was just like un- unbelievable some of the stuff he was doing. Like obviously the highlights, so it's only going to show the best bits. But I've not seen any highlights from him this season, apart from that missed dunk. Um, but we all know it's going to take a few seasons with him before we can fully say what we think. But like Yanis. Yeah, how long was he in the NBA for before before he like made a name for himself? Five, six seasons, maybe four or five seasons, and he put on so, and he put on about thirty pounds of muscle. It looked like so. Poku, I've still got high hopes for him, and I feel like he needs to spend more time in the G League, um, and in the weight room because he's just getting bullied on on whenever whenever he's driving. But yeah, I am I'm looking forward to seeing what I see. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in a few few years, but he needs some more time in the G League. Yeah, I, I agree. I do I do think he should stay down in the G League. I wouldn't bring him back up. There's no reason to bring him back up. As long as he's getting minutes and better minutes in the G League, I'd keep him down there. 
Um, but I, I do want to see minutes for Tio with the Thunder. I, I think he deserves it. He's he hasn't played a lot this year. I think it'd be good to see. give give him Ty Jerome's minutes. Ty Jerome always seems to get ten to fifteen minutes a game. Give him give him Ty's minutes. Do you not think Ty Jerome when he comes on though looks like extremely good? I think he's a like when he comes on he looks he looks confident. He looks like he can like he looks like he wants to take the game to them. Yeah, I. I I do think that with Ty, but I don't think we're far off the ceiling of Ty Jerome. Like mm. with, with Ty, you know what you're going to get. I can't. I don't see what else there is for him to work on personally. He's a good playmaker. He brings the ball up well. He shoots shoots fairly well as well. Some would say he shoots efficiently, but I don't think we're going to see much more out of Ty Jerome, which is why I wouldn't be completely opposed if we traded him. Did you I see that? I don't. Oh, go on, go on. I don't buy into that. Because like he has a you know, his ceiling is supposedly low, right? But all the things you've listed off are positive traits. He knows how to pass the ball, he knows what to do in the game, and he can shoot relatively decently for the Thunder, right? Like I might be missing something. That sounds like a good role player to have down the line. No, you're right, but I think I think that's probably just a bubble over my eyes in terms of how highly I rate Tio. Like I, I rate Tio higher than. Than Ty, so that obviously makes me think that obviously Tio is going to last around longer. But that's just the way I think. It's exactly the same way as uh, how desperate I wanted Poku before the draft. I remember telling uh, telling Brandon before that draft because it was just me and Brandon. But then I was like, Poku's the guy I want. We're gonna we're gonna trade up for him. We'll get him. And obviously it happened. Now I'm just I I still beg for the guy to. Um become what I hoped he will and but as we've obviously quite clearly said that he is still young he is still only 20 give him good time then we can judge him in a couple of years or two um so moving on I just what don't don't have to go into depth on why or anything like that I just wanted to know whether you guys have any picks for who you want already for the 2022 draft um Obviously, the main ones, Chet, Paolo, Jabari, Smith, you can make a case for as well. They're probably the main three. A lot of people are saying there's not a lot more out of the, the main three, but me personally, I do kind of like Jaden Ivey. I do think he's a tidy prospect, but obviously Chet's the one I do want, but I, I would settle for Jaden Ivey. But I was just intrigued whether any of you guys had an early pick that you'd like to see in Thunder. Well, I'd... I was wanting Chet all like since high school. Like he's been in he's been on um slam and that since he's been in high school. So I'm just scared if, if we pick up Chet, is he gonna be another he can he can go either one of two ways. He can become like a Mobley type player or he can or he can become a Poku type player. I in my opinion. I'm just scared if, if we do draft um Chet, he's gonna be like Poku, whereas I'd, I'd want an Evan Mobley type player. So I'd personally go with Paolo. I think he's a great player and he can deliver in, uh, off it, offense for us instantly. You know? I like Jabari Smith. It, I didn't really know much about him before this year, but from what I've seen and what people wrote about him, like he just seems like the perfect like modern day four or five. Like a bit like you know, like a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, like, you can play either position, defends really well, can shoot it pretty much. But, like, 
I would say that Smith is probably not the defender that Jackson Jr. is. Jackson Jr. is a fantastic defensive player. But, like, he's got such a versatile scoring game. Like, he can hit from three, inside, mid-range. You can do it all, really. Like, Lowe's not really a bad shot for him. And to have a guy like that on the team who can play the five, who can pick and pop, who can pick and roll, who can, who's athletic, you know, who can guard a little bit. I just think it's a good thing to have to put... Yeah, I had kind of debated in my mind if he is a four or a five, but I kind of lean now more to him being a five than being a four. And I just think that you put him with a guy like Giddy, who's passing just open his game up to the next level. You put him with someone like Shea, who's driving, will get him open looks from downtown, every single possession down the, top, down the floor. I'm just excited to see what that could be. I don't feel the same way about Banchero. I don't... I know what the numbers say. I know what it does. But he just kind of leaves me feeling a bit cold. I don't know how to describe it. I see what he can do. I just don't necessarily get that, the vibe from him. With Chet, I think he's a fantastic player. But my, my concern is, is that if he's just like going to be like a Paul Zingus, does he have the frame to really be able to stand up to play, you know, the punishment and the rigour that an NBA game is? Is he going to lose that mobility early in his career and then he's not going to be the same player again? It, that's the thing that concerns me with him. So for me, I like Jabari the most because his skills are sick and I don't have those concerns about him. That's fair enough. listed as 6'9", Jabari, on this NBA draft. Which is interesting. He's like six. I don't know if he's... he's I think, from what I've read, he's six nine ten, but I think he's only like 18. So he, like, he might grow a bit more. Seven foot two in two years. You never know. Nah, it's, if he can get like 6'11", 6'11 is like decent yeah. size. For like a Jaron Jackson Jr. Adam. player, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I just, I just wanted to ask, see who we had our eyes on at this point, see if anybody had anything mid-draft, mid-teens or anything or who was currently projected to go there that we're keeping our eye on. I haven't really had a a proper dive into it yet, apart from maybe the top five. Um, but no, it's, it's interesting to hear that. So, we're going to move on now to the last subject of this week. And I know Janal is already rubbing his hands. Because obviously he is the champion and I, don't, I, I can't wait for the day that he gets defeated. So this week, I'll admit I'd done it 10 minutes before we came on so I completely forgot. This week, I'm only accepting your first answer. It's not a keep guessing till you get it right because they're not exactly hard questions. So you just... I will obviously say shout out your first answer. I won't ask you individually because obviously you've got to get it right. So I've gone off my own knowledge on this one. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I am right. So question one. How many divisional titles have the Thunder won? So uh three. So off the top of my head, that's going to be like 2012, 13, 14, 16, 4. You both get zero points. It's five. Was it 11 then as well? 11. It was three years in a row. That'd be four then. 12, 13, 14, 12. Sorry, 11, 12, 13, 14, we had 16. Seven. I'm sure it's five. I'll, I'll ask the next question while I look it up. 
I am sure it's five though. Um, well, the original question too was what college did uh, JRE go to? But Janelle said it. Ha- Janelle said it halfway through the podcast, so I had to change it. <laughs> so the next one, he'll probably get this one just as quick. Um, what college did Aaron Wiggins go to? Maryland. How would I got that? He would play there with Jalen Smith under. Uh, I think the guy's name is Mark Surgeon. The coach. I could be wrong. Yeah, but yeah, we've not got that. It was, it was Maryland. Um, and then question three is how many times has an OKC player won scoring champion? How many times has the OKC player won scoring champion? Yeah. Is it like different players? Just how many times has it happened? So KD, Russ. That's it. As so in, like, like, how, how many seasons has it happened? Two. Oh, like, three, I think. Because Durant did it, like, Durant did it, like, 9 t- it did it, like, 9 10 and then I think he did it, like, the year he won MVP, so that'd be 13, 14, and then Russ did it 16, 17. Mm. I've got off the top of my head that it's happened six times. Six? How many did Durant win it, then? That's crazy. Because I, I remember actually looking up that question. Um, I don't want to keep the podcast going in terms of while I look this up. If you if you guys want to fact check, uh, fact check, fact check me, then go for it. But I I I trust my knowledge on that. I'm pretty sure the divisional titles we won three in a row, and then I think we won sixteen, seventeen, and then scoring champions. I'm pretty sure it's KD with three. I think Russ had two. No. I'm getting myself confused. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, you're right. KD won it. He won it 09, 10, 10, 11, 11, 12, uh, 13, 14. And then Russell won it. I never realized Russell won it in 14, 15. They won it in 14, 15, and 16, 17. Oh, he won it twice. I only thought he won. I, I mean, I did only say two, so I was miles off anyway. But I, did, I, I thought it was KD that would have got the most. That's crazy. So, in other words, the winner of fundamental trivia is myself because we've had to fact check. Fact check. I've said it again. Fact check my own knowledge, and it turns out I'm right. So technically, I've answered all three of my questions right. So that means I'm the winner. So Janelle, sore loser. Deal with it. I mean, all right then. <laughs> this and, is any, like anything to ruin your pride. <laughs> hey, shit! It's not really count to be honest, but it's all right. <laughs> no, Janelle, you win again. As take, the, take the money. I hope you're happy. Come dine with me for any of those uh, UK listeners. Will understand what I mean by that. But no, that that's all for this week. It's been obviously another deep dive into the thunder for the last two weeks but another episode where we've we've spoken about a lot we'll bring tom's take back next uh next podcast we just didn't really have a hot take at short notice to talk about this week so we'll bring that one back that one excuse me that one always spices janelle's uh gears up a bit so we'll we'll get that next time and I i can't speak you can tell it's the end of the podcast now can't you so i'm just going to end it now so everybody make sure you thunder up